Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of Conspiranormal. That's right, Conspiranormal, your favorite podcast. Yes, and if it's not your favorite, there's something wrong with you. At least it should be. All right, well, welcome back to Conspiranormal, folks. Yes, sir. Uh, it's your host, Adam Sane. Co-host, Luca Duke Reed. That's right, and uh, we uh, had last on last week uh, Thad McCracken. Yes, sir. Was a... Uh, Interesting episode, to say well, the least. Well, let's go ahead and say we got our main man, Rob, in here, too. Yeah, that's right. Rob well, is in here. He's Sorry. on He's on the ones and twos. <laughs> he's on the board. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we had that show. Um, I have gotten, like, not as much feedback, but it's just, like, a ton of downloads off of this, man. Uh, I posted the show on Saturday, this last Saturday night, recording this on December 10th, and... Uh, it's Wednesday night now, so what is that? Like three days? We've got about like a hundred, like nine hundred fifty-two downloads. So we're almost like topped a thousand. We're gonna be ghetto that. fabulous. Yeah, we are. We're already ghetto fabulous, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was uh, quite an interesting. It was a long show too, man, because we know you had your brother in there for about like a good like ten fifteen minutes. Yeah. And, you know, we talked for well, a good 10 minutes after the I'm interview. I'm sure he's seen enough psychedelic apparitions to fill in two shows. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'd love to get him on. And he even told me that he was, like, real surprised at just how much ground that we covered. And mm-hmm. uh, he also said that he was real surprised that, like, you know, one of the things he talked about was, like, his kind of relationship to Christianity yeah, and, and how good. all that works. That really um, he said he hadn't really addressed that very much in, in too many shows. Right. So that, uh, that, that, was that he's perfect. done. Uh, he posted it up. Uh, and the guy covered so much ground because he's talking like 90 miles per hour, man. Yeah, man. He was talking like, like, like he, he was like hardly taking a breath. You know, I think he blew Zach's mind. I think <laughs> Zach's just like, he's not here tonight. I think he just he's just still reeling from it. <laughs> he's like, at the end, he, Zach's just like staring, just like feeling the space around him. And he's like, 
He's like, I grew up in a place with tractors and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and gardens and and houses here and there, man. <laughs> What's this guy talking about? Right. For him, it just like he he didn't know what to think. You know, he like started like uh like his like first show we did with Zach was the Michael Carter show where the guy talking about aliens and reptilians and, <laughs> and then we had like I think he was with us with the like Alistair Crowley show yeah and then a couple shows after that and. And I think this one just, like, really totally blew his mind. Uh, you know, one thing was, like, I had to put, like, a disclaimer on this one, man. Because it's just, like... <laughs> your your 10-minute disclaimer? Yeah, uh-huh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was, it was more like two minutes. But, but you know, we're on, like, kind of a network. We're on the Fringe Radio Network, and there's a ton of, like, Christian shows on there. And although we don't say that we're a Christian show... You know, we, uh, you know, I just thought it best to put like kind of like a disclaimer at the beginning and like market explicit and all that. You know, there was some pretty, pretty interesting phraseologies, let's say the least. Word. So, Luke, I understand that you've had uh, quite a week, quite a day today. It's been quite a season. Yes. And, and I thought, I thought that all of the hits would stop coming with fall, but wintertime rolls around and it's just like, nope, you're effed. <laughs> so uh yeah so like what he's talking about is i got fired today <laughs> yeah we were talking about the uh, in the outro last week about how you were uh you had to like drive like uh like 90 miles an hour to get to work so yeah you, you could clock in like, i mean right on time you know, I, I i do consider myself pretty responsible compared to what i used to be but <laughs> but you know I'm just not a morning person, man. I mean, that's that's right. all there is to it. You got to wake up at like six o'clock in the morning. No, or that's what time I have to be there. Yeah, you be there. Yeah, you be there at six o'clock yeah. in the morning. So, I'm not a morning person at all. But, but like you know, the, what they they docked you for um, clocking in like one or two minutes late. It, well, I, I had some sick days that I I don't have a doctor because like I saved money by not paying for insurance. <laughs> yeah, and I, I got my. Uh, Obamacare uh, exemption, so. <laughs> oh, you got your Obama- Obamacare exemption? <laughs> yeah. How'd you do that? Well, the hell, man. There's like there's like 20 different exemptions to choose from. They'd like almost make it easy for you. Really? They hand it to you on a platter. <laughs> What'd you do? Say you're Native American or something? <clears throat> no, I told them I was homeless, and then uh, when they followed homeless, through. Homeless, bro. <laughs> they called me like a year later. <laughs> yeah. And when they finally called me, <clears throat> um... She's like, are you still homeless? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But actually, I was living with Jamie. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I was like, yeah, I'm totally homeless right now. Right. So. I- I'd love to go through, like, Conspiranormal, like, the Conspiranormal past and just see, like, the evolution of Luke. <laughs> and just, like, like, like all his girlfriends and, like, <laughs> all this, this all this stuff that has happened. You know what? Like, doing, like, a montage. The bad part is, is, like... It is you know my life might seem kind of exciting, but really it's not. Like you know, Cody's life is exciting. <laughs> not not mine. Well, people out there know who Cody is. Well, I, they I thought, should. We they talked should. about Cody several times on the show. <laughs> we need to actually call him for one of the oh, episodes. Too. Oh God, <laughs> that that's perfect. Well, anyway, tonight uh, we have John Tinney coming back on. I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, last time had him on with his uh, co-host uh, Chad Lindbergh. They were on the show uh, Ghost Stalkers, which was on Destination America for a while. And 
if anybody hasn't seen it, it was a really good show. They're actually kind of different show than the kind of like a regular ghost hunting show. These guys, what they would do is they would go in with a, they would, they would go into a location and then like the crew would leave. They would set up cameras throughout like the house or, um, old hospital or wherever else that they were, they were, they were researching and investigating and they would, and then the guys would go in with just a camera with themselves. And I thought they got some pretty good footage. And we, uh, when I interviewed uh, both John and Chad back at the end of October, I didn't have. Well, the show had only been on for like I think like two episodes by that point, and did like a six episode run on Destination America. So, uh, kind of want to you know talk a little bit tonight about some of the like the other four episodes and the one that came on right after I posted that show was like, had some of the most amazing evidence, uh, ghost evidence ever. So, but we're not going to just talk about ghosts tonight because John has kind of like, he's like a kind of Renaissance man of the paranormal. He knows a lot about different things and also about conspiracy theories. So I really want to pick his brain on some of that stuff Mm. tonight too. Word up. Word. All right. Is he going to play us the tin whistle this time? He might play us the tin whistle. You never know. Or the Jews <laughs> harp or something like that. So, but uh, without further ado, Luke, if you're ready, we'll go to the, on to the guest. Take off. All right. We'll be right back on Conspiranormal. All right. Uh, we're back on Conspiranormal, and uh, we got the guest on the line, Mr. John Tinney. Welcome. And uh, welcome back to Conspiranormal, John. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always good to talk to weird people. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, we're kind of the king of yeah, weird around here, especially after the last the week. headquarters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you just, last time we had you on, it was uh, October 29th was when we recorded that show. And I had you and Chad on, and we talked about the show Ghost Stalkers. And at that time, uh, I believe only two episodes had aired. And so I kind of wanted to talk, you know, in the first part here about kind of like the, the, the next four episodes of any kind of thing that you, uh, that was interesting in that, but especially the episode that aired right after I posted that show, which was, and I kind of wish that I had waited maybe like another week to have you guys on <laughs> because that episode and that piece of evidence is probably some of the most amazing stuff. And let's kind of, like, start talking about that, uh, like, about uh, what exactly happened there. I believe that was the, uh, was that the Springfield State Hospital episode? Yep, yep, there's Old Taylor, uh, Old Taylor Memorial Hospital in, uh, in okay. Georgia. Okay. Yeah, pretty and, close to where we are. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's really strange, right? So uh, what a lot of people don't know, and I'm glad that this is a conspiracy show so we can just talk openly about stuff that people don't know about. But, uh, right. you know, it's strange because I've done this for 27 years. I've, I've been trying to gather good information and good data to, to show to people for 27 years. And so we're filming ghost stalkers, and we catch what looks like a full-bodied apparition walk by on camera. And it was really mind-blowing to me because I was sitting out in the RV. Chad was inside doing his investigation, and, and I was watching a live feed. So I can't go back and look at the footage until morning, and I've been staring at that monitor for hours. So at first, you know, that whole kind of psychology kicks in, like maybe I didn't see anything at all. Uh, maybe my brain was just playing tricks on me. And then it's, o- it's only, you know, 
six hours later when Chad comes back out that I can go in and, and get the, the chip out of the camera and actually look at the footage and say, holy crap, like this right. was something walking around on, on camera. And before Chad and I go in, you know, it's up to us and the crew before they leave because we're there all by ourselves all night. Uh, to secure and lock down the building. So we go through, we open up all the closets, the doors, we make sure there's no homeless people in there with us. Um, we use those kind of floor-to-ceiling gates in some locations if there's places that we can't close off so we can lock those areas off from us and anyone else. And it was just mind-blowing to, to see this thing just walk right through the camera line. Well, it's not really on the center, it's off to the right, but it's it's up through a hallway, but it's so clear. It's just biz- beyond bizarre. Right. It, it looks just like a solid human being. And to kind of reiterate, no one else is in that building at that moment, but Chad, um, because you guys lock it down. There's, and there's no crew. It's just you, it's just you guys, one of you guys with a camera and then the stationary cameras that are positioned around it. Yep, we have uh, we went round and round with the network to make sure like the the network wanted shots. They're, they 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 want to make a television show, and so we had to go round and round with them to figure out how we could actually be left alone. Because a lot of these shows, if you watch like Ghost Hunters, like Ghost Hunters, you have six people investigating in the building, and then they're in teams of three, and each of those teams has a camera crew with them. So. Aside from the six investigators, you've got a sound man and a cameraman behind them. So, you know, you're adding another six people to the mix. So you've got 12 people walking around a building. And in Ghost Adventures, you've got three guys in a building. They usually have Billy in there with them doing audio and another unseen cameraman. So you've got five guys in the building and people outside. Um, With us, I wanted us to be alone, so we had to figure out how to wrap the entire crew before we went in, and we'd set up, you know, cameras around inside the location, and then give Chad and I a couple of cameras on tripods that we can move around, and then everybody splits and goes back to the hotel, and Chad and I are left there to our own devices. And uh, that's never been done before, but I actually think that one of the reasons, what I was going to say about stuff people nobody really talks about about these shows, um... I really do believe from everything I know um, and working in television and and knowing people who are on other shows, I really think that Chad and I are are the only team that actually investigate all night. Um, A lot of the investigations that people see take place probably between 9 at night and 1 or 2 in the morning, and then they wrap and they go home and they have enough footage to make it look like they're there all night. Um, You guys are there until dawn. From usually until nine until six, um, and so you have you know dozens of cameras rolling for that many hours. Um, plus, you know you're you you're filming the building for that long. Like it's it's kind of almost inevitable that you're going to catch something weird happen in these buildings. A lot of times the, on the paranormal shows, you're not even really in the building long enough to catch anything strange. Right. Or there's just too many people. Or there's just, yeah, or there's too much t- contamination of people wandering around, trying to get the camera, trying to get it set up. Oh, you know, and, you know, people also want to believe, you know, reality shows are completely unscripted. A lot of times, you know, you, these shows are trying to build narratives. So, yeah. you know, they have a, a key plot point that they have to say, or they have, uh, you know, uh, some words that you have to get the shot of 
this person holding this thing. So, you know, there's a lot of, aside from the investigation, there's just a lot of TV show making going on in these shows. Absolutely. Have, have you had that footage? Have you had that analyzed by anybody? And like, what are any kind of like the conclusions that, that those people might have come up with on it? Yeah, the first thing, I knew that it was going to be problematic and I, I, because I, I grabbed the chip and by the time I got back out into the RV, you have crew starting to show up. So the first thing I did was I, all the chips have to go to the network. They own all of the recorded footage. So the first thing I tried to do was I, I went to our uh, head of cinematography and our director of photography who's on set, and I, I said, listen, you and I need to sit down, and you have to tell me with your couple decades' worth of experience what you think this is. And so he and I sat down and watched it over and over and again, and then uh, he actually took the chip and um, ran it through a bunch of whatever he does as a the cinematographer to analyze it. And he came back and he said, man, this, he goes, I've done you know, hundreds of these types of shows. He goes, this is just absolutely screwed up. I have no idea what this is. And, you know, barring that we missed someone inside with Chad, um, it's just bizarrely strange. Uh, some things that you don't get from watching the episode is obviously because of the way the episodes are edited. Um, on that footage, there's no, you can actually hear it echoing through the hospital. You can hear Chad uh, two stories up doing his EVP session. Uh, okay. when, that, when that thing walks through the hallway, it's soundless. It doesn't make any walking sounds. That building is so big and so echoey that if it was a person walking around, you know, you should hear some rustling, some movement of the person. Um, and it's right. absolutely soundless. The other thing that people don't take into account is that you're only seeing that figure because of the IR light that's illuminating that hallway. That hallway is pitch black. That room is pitch black. So if it is a person walking around, they're walking around in total darkness without bumping into things and falling down and making noise. Yeah, and it was very effortless how that how that figure moves. Kind of a confident stroll for a man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Stumbling around in darkness. So both of you guys have seen this episode? I just... Just before I came, I watched yeah. Oh man, I missed okay. out. It's just pretty. Luke, Luke doesn't watch too much TV, so oh, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm such a cheapskate that I haven't had actual like cable or satellite in so many years. I don't have cable. Whenever I, we, an episode aired, I had to go down to the local bar and watch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm surprised they even turn it on for you. All that everyone wants to watch around here is this football or yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a bar I've been going to for 20 years, and they actually upgraded their cable package so that they could watch me on television. Oh, wow. Wow, that's cool. So, <laughs> local hometown bar for a hometown boy. <laughs> I guess they had to turn off the, the Detroit football team, right? Oh, there was some yelling every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, too, another uh, show that I found interesting was the uh, the one that was in the school, the Ferrar school. And yep. that one was interesting because you have this abandoned school. I mean, that's literally what it is. It's in a town of like, I mean, what was the population there? Like 40 people or something? Oh, yeah. It's not even really a town. It's, it's you know, just this weird little township 
you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And, and Farrar is a really weird place just because nothing has ever happened there. You know, there's no deaths, there's no tragedy, and, and yet people have been reporting weird stuff in this place for decades. What, what was kind of your theory on to why this place could be haunted? If it's, just, if it's just a school where no nothing ever happened, no no deaths happened there, um, and there was like supposedly it was like a place where people came, you know, it was like the center of the town, and there was actually a lot of joy and a lot of things, you know, good things that happened in that place, but yet it's seemingly haunted by this kind of malevolent <laughs> entity. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the takeaways, because we're always, we're, we're never trying to, on ghost, one of the big things that we tried on Ghost Stalkers to do was to never say, you know, this. I'm very much against making these big declarative statements of this is what it is and this isn't. And, um, you know, we're always trying to speculate on ideas that maybe people aren't thinking of. And so in that episode, I went back and was looking through a lot of the case files from the 1800s from for psychical researchers back in the 1800s. And they had this concept that, that there are these kind of um, managers of the afterlife who allow people to come back and forth into this reality um, and make sure that we, the living, don't attain information about the afterlife because what would be the point of living this life if we knew for sure there was an afterlife and, and you persisted forever, uh, everybody would cash out. There'd be no point in, in going through the tragedy and suffering of being a human being. And so they had this idea that there were these kind of guardian spirits who will allow the people in the afterworld to pass through into a place that they want to go back and revisit and experience. Uh, but their job is to pretty much confound the living and keep us from knowing what's going on. And that was just one of the final ideas that we kind of threw out at the end of the episode as maybe that's what this is. Maybe this isn't a malevolent evil creature. Maybe it's something that's doing its job. And, and also there was the idea that um, the people that were going in there and playing with the Ouija boards and, and ghost hunting, that they may have actually um, conjured something up, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of experiments. There were a couple that were done in Canada, one in Russia back in the 60s and 70s, and it was more about um, manifesting through um, things like thought forms, agregores, tulpas, um, wow. that, that people focusing their intent and, and focusing their mind on something don't even so much pull something from a different reality, but actually manifest something that's never existed before into this, this experiential world that, that we seem to be sharing. And so that was one of the ideas is that, you know, I don't think that Ouija boards are anything other than games, um, but they do act as a focusing point. Anyway, like a crystal ball, a pendulum, it's just a place where you can focus your concentration. And so one of the ideas was perhaps these people, knowing the stories and the folklore behind the school, had been focusing their thoughts enough to actually manifest something in into the school. That Luke's over here nodding his head because he just like doesn't buy Ouija boards yeah, at all. Yeah, I don't buy into it. But but you know you know they they did kind of change my mind over the course of the show about using it as a medium, just like you said. You know, any anywhere you put your will and intent into, it seems that something's bound to happen if you've got enough consciousness together. For sure. I mean, you know, it's funny, too, because people will say, like, oh, you shouldn't use a region. You know, the, the arguments are numerous and, and old, but, you know, there's that whole, 
you should never use a, a piece of equipment like that because it opens up a doorway. It's no different than any other piece of equipment. I mean, when you're when you're using a digital recorder to do an EVP session, you're doing the same thing. You're holding something in your hand. You're focusing your attention on it. You're asking a question, right. and the device is re- returning a response to you. Um, so, I mean, it's it's no different than using a digital recorder. It's just, you know, they have these kind of folkloric stories behind them that make people afraid of them. Yeah. And it's kind of a ritualistic thing, too. It's the intent behind it. That For sure. Absolutely. Really drives it. And, and people, who deal with, people who deal with magic, not stage magic or, or illusionary magic, but people who study and research things like magic, you know, usually with a K or or chaos magic, like they'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah, we had not, one of those on last week. Yeah, so it's, it's not even about the words you're saying. It's it's the intent and the ritual and kind of emotions and, and putting yourself into a place to manifest a different kind of reality around you. Um, but yeah, you know, Ouija boards, I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's, it's a tool. It's just like a hammer. A hammer can build a house or it can hit someone in the head. It all depends on who's holding it. Right. Uh, you had an encounter with this uh, on the show. You had an encounter with this with this being. It seemed to be like kind of playing with you, and and uh, it would show up and then dart around a corner. And yeah, I don't think it liked me. I think I think yeah. um, I, I think we discussed this in an episode, and we actually discussed it throughout the all of this, the entire season. But you know, you only got to see it once when I talked about it in Wheatland. But I really do and have for many years had this idea that, you know, when I died, my near-death experience was uh, very frightening and sent me to a place of kind of void and darkness. And I've always had this idea that some of that residual uh, void, some of that uh, residual destruction of everything is stuck onto me. And I think a lot of times that's why... Uh, different entities or energies react the way they do to me, which is either um, they do any and everything to get me out of where they are. So whether that's poking and prodding me, or kicking me or scratching me, or just trying to confound me and and turn my equipment off, like it's it's not that they're trying to be mean, it's that they don't like what is on me, what what that kind of residual energy represents to them, which is the ultimate destruction of themselves. So if, you know, they are a persisting energy from a life form, and then all of a sudden you get this kind of stink of void and infinity and destruction, um, they hate it just as much as I do. So you think that they, it's like they, they smell it on you, I mean, so to speak. They, yeah, and that yeah, there's some kind of residual. Yeah, there's some kind of residual holdover from that place that I went to, which, you know, I... I hope I wasn't supposed to go to, but obviously did. Um, but yeah, I think that they sense it in some way. Did you feel that they were more attracted to Chad? I think they see Chad as less threatening. They know that they can get a rise out of him. They know that he's not very, I mean, he does what he can to kind of protect himself mentally, psychologically, spiritually, but he's still so new at it that it's almost uh, kind of entertainment. I would, you know, to kind of, especially if you're a little kid. I mean, little kids, you know, you're in a school, little kids love tricking adults. So I think, especially in Farrar, that was a, a place that really, you know, it was a lot of times like 
kids were just screwing around with him. As a matter of fact, they would even swear uh, some of his EVPs. They would, you know, mimic his swearing, which, you know, I think yeah. is pretty funny. I think it's yeah, funny that we had to have an EVP that was beeped on television. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> uh, you know, you're talking about how uh, you can bring things through or you can use Ouija boards as just a, just another means of focus to bring things through. You know, um, what about like, you know, listening to EVPs or becoming so obsessed with something like that that could you possibly bring something, bring something and manifest it? I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Um, you know, one of the dangers of, of being involved in anything, paranormal or otherwise, is the, is the fact that you're going to create an unhealthy obsession with it and that you're going to, you know, ruin a huge part of your life. And, of course, some you know, people won't want to claim personal responsibility for that. They would, they'd throw it on a different entity or energy that stuck to them because they brought it through. But the reality of the situation is that you know, I do know a lot of people whose lives have fallen apart because they've become so obsessed with paranormal research, and they will be the first people to tell you that it's, you know, a demon or an energy or a malevolent spirit that's attached to themselves. The reality of the situation is that they've become addicted to the rush, the scare, and the spook, and so, you know, they're kind of draining their own life away. Um, obviously, we're meant to question these things. We all do, but when that's all you do, when all you do is surround yourself with skulls and, and coffins and bats and, and darkness, yeah, uh, yeah. you can't, you, your life can't help become that. Yeah. Well, Luke listens to a lot of death metal. So yeah, I said time and time again, man, um, you know, it, it used to be my primary music to listen to. And I felt like I was being a traitor to metal by listening to anything else. And, <laughs> <laughs> and after, after a while, it does. It starts to influence you and take its toll on you. You're a traitor to metal, man. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm turning my back on metal by listening to anything else. Well, but you know, what? it's crazy because it's the same way. You know, same way for me, right? Like as soon as you know, I was when I was a teenager. Um, you know, I, all I was listening to in the early and mid '80s was punk, and so like yeah, as soon as right. and and I was just like out of control and my whole life was out of control and I was like yeah this is, the whole world is screwed up and this is what it is and then I realized like no it was a lot of the influence of just the music which drew me into the culture which drew me into the mindset which created and manifested my reality which was insane um, as soon as I throttled back on it and started expanding and broadening my horizons my life shifted and changed into something more broad and more vast yep quick favorite punk band nice way to put it uh, I, I grew up loving the Dead Kennedys. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so it's, top three is always prob probably the Dead Kennedys, the Misfits, and Butthole Surfers. Yeah. Um, All right. Speaking and, Adam's language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tell him how punk? you feel about Fugazi. <laughs> what was that? Tell him how you feel about Fugazi. Uh, I'm not a big Fugazi fan. Oh, oh no! <laughs> a huge minor threat fan, huge minor threat yeah. fan, not a big right, Fugazi fan. Uh, but my band was very, uh, it was kind of that political, jokey, punk. It's kind of like the Dead Kennedys or even the Circle Jerks. Um, right. But 
but we played with some, you know, decent punk bands like back in the day. I don't know, like the biggest band we ever ended up playing with who ended up being a huge band was we, we opened for social distortion a couple of times. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, there was a band called the mentors that we opened for all the time. And then we actually played one of the last shows, um, that he ever played well before he went to prison with Gigi Allen. Oh, oh really? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> did he do anything interesting on stage? Oh my, he did everything you would expect. Cutting himself <laughs> open, you know, pooping on the stage, being on the oh. crowd, everything. Yeah, <laughs> man. I'm, I'm sorry that I missed those shows. So that's why haunted places don't really freak me out that much. I had to spend two nights in an apartment with Gigi Allen, so. Yeah, I can imagine. Just like, you know, other otherworldly entity demon or Gigi Allen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's the choice there. What's the difference? <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> well, the reason I asked, you, I asked that question, John, uh, is that, you know, when I started getting into stuff, and I've always been into the paranormal, but, like, you know, but when Ghost Hunters came out, and I started getting into it big time with, like, EVPs. And I would listen to it, like, you know, just try to sit there. And I just really wanted to find out, you know, what it was that I was hearing. And I would listen to this stuff constantly, you know. Mm-hmm. And just, like, people would post on websites, you know, paranormal groups, whatever. And uh, one, you know, we were living in an apartment then. And one day, my wife, she was cleaning the mirror. And, and she felt something push her off the mirror. And... <laughs> I never had anything happen to me, but I, I kind of thought at that point, like maybe there could be a connection between what I was doing and, and, and that incident. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's always a hard call. I do think that, um, well, for me personally, I go through these cyclical waves. So I have five years of weirdness and then five years off and then five years of weirdness and five years off. And I think that everybody has these kind of, these kind of, circadian rhythms of paranormal phenomena, but I do think that people around me, um, as they get to know me, it's something brushes off on them and they start to have experiences as well. I think maybe they just become more open and more aware of the situation. I don't know if it's so much dragging things through as it is making people more aware of the, the, the vast weirdness that's always around them. You you had mentioned in the last uh, show that we did that you um, you had sleep paralysis. You've had sleep paralysis pretty much all your your life. Oh yeah, ever since um, I was kid. Is that that happened? Uh, that happened before and after. Already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just you just dropped off. They're all um, killers. What did you hear? Uh, did you? you hear the what? last thing you were saying was uh, about my sleep paralysis and that I had yeah. it as a kid. Yeah, did you have it before and after your near death experience? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I had I've always had uh, sleep paralysis and night terrors um, ever since I was a little kid. As a matter of fact, when I was probably about eleven, my parents uh, threw all my comic books away because they were convinced that that was what was giving me nightmares. Yeah. Was it like Tales from the Crypt or something? Uh, it was just everything. It was just, you know, all weird stuff. It, you know, some yeah. of it was spooky stuff, but most of it was superheroes, Spider-Man, Batman, you know. Yeah, my parents did that to me when I was reading Swamp Thing when I was eight, like the Alan Moore edition. Oh, Swamp Thing is fantastic. I, I still yeah. have all... I went back as I got older and reclaimed all my old comic books, so I have my full run of Swamp Thing. 
I think oh, we're yeah. talking to your doppelganger right now. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> what we, was talked that? About the, we talked about it like kind of in the, the preamble of the last show. We talked about the Joy Division a little bit too. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah. So I just was wondering about like your near death experience. You know, like had your heart actually stopped? Was it actually like you had actually? Um, You'd actually flatlined? In that oh, yeah. Um, the first time I flatlined was actually um, the paramedics had already arrived, and they couldn't get a pulse on me, and then they shocked me back. That you re- I remember. I actually remember the – anybody who's had their heart restarted electrically will tell you that they remember that. Um, it's like being hit by lightning. Um, yeah, I can imagine. And then um, the next time, I don't actually remember uh, being shocked back, uh, but then the transfer between the ambulance to the hospital is when they lost me again. And then the the people in the ER got me back. Um, That I don't remember at all. And by that time, even I think once they get your heart started, they have a certain amount of chemicals in you and drugs in you to, to keep you unconscious so that you, you're not waking up in the middle of what they're doing in case they have to crack your chest or anything like that. Was it like a, did you have like a car accident or something or was it like a, Oh no, just a purely genetic thing. My grandfather died at an early age from a heart attack <laughs> and, and okay. it's just a, just a genetic misfire. How unfortunate. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I tell people all the time that, you know, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it was the best day of my life. It radically changed me into a, a much more open-minded, caring, loving person. I, I don't get in fights with people. I, I'm, uh, I'm a person who's very interested in peace and love and harmony and, and the exploration of the mind, and I was never like that before. And so it, it really did. It, when, I, when my heart started again, I, I truly came back as a different person. It, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I ran across an article a couple of days ago about, um, and this was in the lines of like alien abduction, which I'd love to pick your brain about as well. But and near death experiences as being kind of like a shamanic um, experience. In other words, in other words, like the the person becomes completely changed by that experience, uh, like like almost like they're completely just like they're they're hardwired differently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, this is something, um, there's a lot of stuff, right? So there's a lot of, of truths that were figured out early on, but for some reason, you know, whether you want to call it conspiracy or not, you know, um, but like things like psychology, talking to psychiatrists and therapists, like the, 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 the church figured that out years ago. That's what confession is. Confession is going to a therapist and, and unloading your, your problems and truths, and that makes you feel better. Yeah. But there is always this concept that has run uh, throughout all of human history about the long, dark night of the soul or rebirth or reawakening or, or being born again. Um, and it's these transformative experiences um, that are really supposed to tra- change you into a different person. And whether they be uh, taking an ayahuasca trip or um, meditating or a near-death experience, like there are there are these experiences that are supposed to transform you into a different person, and you you do find that in the majority of cases people who have valid transformative experiences 
uh, come out with pretty much a similar outlook of mine, which is, you know, that, you know, we're all one family living on this tiny little planet and we should get along and we shouldn't fight with each other and we should exchange information and construct ideas together and, and we should be fascinated and, and stupefied by the wonderment of the universe. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's easy to lose sight of all that. For sure, and, and you know, it's 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 something that you know, it's it's for for me, it's easy to do because I have a really great uh, experience in my in dying, and so it's easy for me when it, you know a lot of people will lose their cool, you know, three to four times throughout the day because. Um, they get someone cuts in front of them in line at the store, cuts them off on the road, and it's these little like moments, momentary flashes of like this anger of of this person, uh, this other animal on the planet who's somewhat like you, doing something that you feel has wronged you. But it's you know the perspective of it is, you know, it's a transient, momentary. Uh, discomfort to your mental state and that really for me at least doesn't deserve me expressing huge amounts of emotion and anger it just doesn't seem necessary or worthwhile to anyone john i want to ask you um have have you ever and this is a big thing with our last guest on the show um have you ever tried anything like ayahuasca or like like psychedelic drugs um, I did when I was a teenager. I smoked pot and I did LSD. Um, I was never, never really. I mean, pot made me laugh a lot. Uh, I was a, you know, I was thirteen, fourteen years old at the time. Uh, Fifteen when I tried LSD. Um, all wow. that, all the, all <laughs> that, all the LSD did for me at the time was make me see a lot of weird colors and shapes and trails and, and that type of experience. Um, good for the growing brain. What was that? It's good for the growing brain. Good for the growing brain. Um, but the, in later life, no, because I've always had this idea and it does kind of come from my, my dear earth experience. I've always had this idea that, uh, my brain in and of itself is, as powerful as it can be when it's running at its full capacity and without, uh, you know, I, I do meditate a lot. Um, and I can get into heightened states of alertness and I'm already hypersensitive. It's a part of the PTSD that comes with having a near death experience. So I feel like, um, dulling those senses or changing, uh, my perceptions, my, my biological perceptions by entering chemicals into my system, um, is actually cutting me off from a reality that I'm already experiencing. Yeah. I hear you though about, uh, not taking, you know, the, the only thing I've ever done and I, I tell all my buddies this, you know, they, some of my buddies out there at the skate park try to offer me, uh, whatever they have, LSD. Sometimes it's, um, What's that? DMT? DMT. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm like, man, I, I just don't really feel like... I, I'd like to try shrooms once in my life, but I I just don't feel like I need any of that, you know? Yeah, I, and, you know, the, the other thing is, too, um, especially with mind-altering drugs and what I do for a living, like, as soon as you start to become someone who does it, not even irregularly, but even, you know, once a year or once every couple of years... 
all of my data, all of my stories, all my experiences become suspect. You know, is it just the yeah. chemicals that I'm entering into my brain that are making me have these experiences? Am I having flashbacks, hallucinations? Yeah. Yeah. So I just have to be aware of that. Plus, I like being kind of solidly sto- sober and knowing what's going on around me all the time. Right. Well, uh, John, I want to ask you about, um, you know, since we're on the subject, you know, we, we talk a lot about, we've talked a lot about alien abduction on this show. And, uh, you know, I'm of the mind that, uh, that, and I hate to use the, I hate to use the term alien abduction. I'm more like, like the term like contact experience mm-hmm. because I see, I don't see it as a physical phenomenon. I see it as mostly like a spiritual, more of a spiritual phenomenon or, or an inner, like more like an inner introspective. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Phenomenon than it is like something that's, that's exterior or aliens from another planet. What are your kind of your thoughts on all that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, a lot of the, uh, you know, to get a little bit into the conspiracy world, I think a lot of the contactees and a lot of the physical, biological um, contactees that, that happened throughout the 50s, 60s, um, I think a lot of that was probably government intervention, uh, doing experiments with people to see what the reaction would be. Uh, if you look at the contactees from the 50s and 60s, the, the aliens were usually looked like humans. They were usually wearing some type of official garment that looked somewhat like a uniform. Uh, their ships were made out of nuts and bolts and had exhaust pipes and, and lights. Uh, none of those things match up with a hyper-advanced civilization. Uh, you know, you would yeah. not build a ship out of nuts and bolts with an exhaust pipe to, to travel from Andromeda Galaxy to ours. It's like rivets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but what is interesting, go on sorry I was going to say but what is interesting is you know if you take the uh, step forward and you say uh, let's have a, a hyper intelligent uh, race of ancient uh, beings that live on a different planet they would at some point I'm, I'm sure learn to transform their consciousness or their, their thought processes or even themselves into energetic beings because they would be able to move at the speed of light. And so they would, wouldn't have a body. They would be solely consciousness or an energy field. And then they could travel space and then they could come to planets and they could interact. And, and we would see them as, as ghosts. We would see them as interdimensional beings. We wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't necessarily be aliens. And if we have that type of potential energy inside of us, like you were saying, that's where they would be interacting with us, not at the biological component, but on a, on a psychological or spiritual uh, level. Uh, how do you feel about this whole concept of, and I kind of want to return to the, the government thing in a little bit, but how, how do you respond to like this kind of concept that's more uh, like you know, the idea of like fallen angels? Or the idea of of the um, you know like the, the what it says in the Bible Genesis six about the Nephilim and the are you familiar with what I'm yeah for sure you're talking about yeah yeah I think that you know um, when it comes to things like obviously um, folklore has its roots somewhere and so someone saw something and you know whether the information is being passed on to us correctly but 
if you look at the Apocrypha, if you look at the books that were taken out of the Bible, um, if you look at the, even the, the book of Adam and Eve or the book of Enoch or the book of war, uh, when they talk about the watchers or the Nephilim, uh, these were people who were more advanced in te- uh, technologically. Uh, they knew about how the stars moved. They knew how to count calendar days and they knew the processions of the seasons. Uh, so obviously there was a, a group of people somewhere that was smarter than uh, who had currently populating the planet uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, whether they were aliens or not, I have no idea. Uh, a couple of researchers and I have postulated that, um, like the stories of Atlantis, the stories of the Nephilim, uh, we don't have a really good timeline for human beings. We, we always assume that human beings have been Homo sapiens or, or Neanderthal or uh, Cro-Magnon within the past 100,000 years. Uh, there is the idea that there was a race of people who lived on this planet long before that that maybe did have longer lifespans and were more intelligent and did uh, have high technology and that they existed for you know a million years and, and eventually started to die out for whatever reason and that we have a memory of them. One of the things that I've always found really interesting is that as we evolve technologically, because people would say like, well, where are the traces of that ancient, ancient human race? Where are their buildings? Where are their writings? Where are their computers? All of that. The thing that's always been interesting to me is as we, as, as a human population, advance technologically, we've started to realize that we need to make everything out of recyclable material. And there will come a time in our not-too-distant future, if we, if we can avoid extinction, where everything that we make will disintegrate within a couple hundred years because we're right. going to make everything recyclable. And so it's not outrageous to think that there was a race of people before us who also figured that out, and that's why we don't have their buildings and their computers and, and their whatever you know, flying machines. Yeah, I agree with that because there was you know there's a series on uh, History Channel not too long ago, The Earth After People. Mm-hmm. And you know they 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 take it all the way up to ten thousand. You know, what if people had disappeared off the planet? Right. And they take it all the way up to ten thousand years, and the only thing that's really would be left is whatever would have been made out of stone. That's it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's, that's wild. And, and and I agree with that. Is that to look at like you know you have the whole concept of the antediluvian world and what's in the book of Genesis, what's in the book of Enoch, and this idea that there could have been a that there could have been a civilization, you know, long before us, I think is in, entirely plausible. Well, what's interesting too is imagine and you know, I've gotten to these thought experiments with other researcher friends of mine. So imagine that you have this high technology race existing on Earth before we evolve. Um, and instead of exploring outer space, they decide to explore in their inner space, they decide to explore dimensions, and they leave this world, uh, the, they leave their bodies behind, and they leave their minds here, um, mm. and, and they exist parallel to our existence, and they interact with us and, and push us along. We would see them exactly again as we see spirits or angels, that they're these guiding presences, when the reality of the situation is that there are kind of older heritage uh, that left right. left behind the physical realm. 
and, and you know, also uh, to get back into like kind of like the government kind of thing, um, we were talking about. We had a few months ago. We had on Nick Redfern. Are you familiar with Nick? Yep, absolutely. Uh, we had him on, and we talked about uh, in his one of his latest books, uh, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. We talked about this possibility of uh, mind control experiments being done on some of these um, alien, supposed alien abduction. Uh, there was one in Pascagoula, Mississippi, mm-hmm. where there's this idea that uh, possibly they use a drug called BZ on these guys, and BZ can act, is actually used in chemical war- warfare. Yep. It's an extreme hallucinogen, and it can be, it can actually have people have shared hallucinatory experiences. I mean, it's literally that powerful. Right. And also this idea that the Betty and Barney Hill uh, case could have also been some kind of mind control experiment. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying is that, you know, there does seem to be, we know that in the 60s the government was doing MKUltra and they were, you know, dosing people with LSD and different psychotropic drugs. Um, So, you know, it's not too far a leap to say that they were doing this, you know, in smaller batches to to groups of people to see what would happen um, if they sent out an idea radiating out from one point, you know, how far does that idea spread? That's always been one of the main concerns with sociology and psychology is, is the spread of ideas. Um, the Internet is a massive experiment to see how thought that we have memes now and, and we watch things go viral. Um, and, and all of that is kind of contrived. I mean, it's, a, it's all an experiment to see how the human brain works. It's a, it's a macro of the micro. It's, it's, we've created a large hive brain to kind of experience what the brain is doing inside the individual. In, in uh, I, I know some people that are researchers that link sleep paralysis with the alien abduction or alien contact phenomenon. As someone that has had sleep paralysis for most of your life, have you ever experienced something that would be like kind of close to an alien abduction experience? Uh, I mean, sleep paralysis itself is, it feels like an alien abduction. I mean, you you yeah. believe yourself to be awake. There's someone in the room with you. There's whispering in your ears. There's that frozenness of, you know, the paralyzation of not being able to move. Um so, I mean, the whole thing, it always feels very strange. It always feels like, and, and then, if, of course, if you've studied UFOs and aliens, you know that that's what that experience, and, and that runs through your mind when the sleep paralysis is happening. Um, the strangest thing that I've ever had is I, I was actually dating a girl, this is a few years ago, probably about six years ago, and we were dog-sitting, and uh-huh. we had gone to sleep for the night and I was sleeping and I thought I had sleep paralysis. I kind of woke up with a start because I had imagined myself seeing this giant flash and I felt as if there was someone in the room and I was, I woke up, I was kind of sweating and I didn't want to wake her up. And so I just kind of lightly rolled myself and looked at her and she was laying in bed wide awake. And I said, are you okay? Are you awake? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I just saw a big bright flash of light. And I thought someone was in the room with us. Huh. And I was like, oh, shit. And so, like, <laughs> we got up and kind of talked through it and felt weird about it and then didn't go back to sleep for the rest of the night and drove home the next day. That's the weirdest kind of, those shared experiences are, are always much, much weirder than the single, you know, individual experience. Right, because there must be something, at least something that's, 
external that is working on it. Um, right. You know, the way I look at it is that it, it, people that it's all about altered state of consciousness. So people can have, however that's done. I mean, whether through drugs or through meditation, you know, uh, some people would look and say, well, that's just an X. Ex- that's just, you know, you're internally manifesting that yourself. Your brain is making it up. Mm-hmm. And I would look at it as being that, it is a real experience that there actually is something communicating with you, um, especially in the ayahuasca experiences. Uh, people have had, and, and Luke has studied this a little more than I have, of people have, they will see things that are similar in alien abduction phenomenon, and they will they will have these contact experiences with, with entities that seem very, very real. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the fact that with ayahuasca and, and certain other chemicals, uh, the fact that you're getting uh, similar experiences cross-culturally and worldwide, that you can give ayahuasca to someone who uh, lives in New York and someone who lives in Laos and someone who lives in the Antarctic, and that they will all have similar experiences, if not exactly the same experiences, meet the same people, talk to the same uh, creatures. I mean, that's a, a really fascinating part of, of, of that type of experimentation. Right. Is, Luke, is there anything you want to add? Um, He's drawing a picture of a UFO and an alien <laughs> or something. I don't know what's going on. There was something I wanted to add a minute ago, but it was, it's been too long. It has left. My ADD kicked in. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting, right, because, what I mean, what we're really dealing with is, and then this is where it gets really weird, right, because what we're really dealing with is we're dealing with perception, we're dealing with the mind, we're de- and we're trying to figure out what reality is. And what's really strange is that we have to use certain tools, we have to use television, uh, radio, podcasts, uh, to interact with each other to get ideas. But I'll tell you, uh, as someone who... Before and while uh, doing paranormal research, I, I worked in the advertising field. And I actually left for a while in the late 90s because uh, I started doing, I started working at, at larger um, advertising companies, covert advertising, which is uh, CA, which covert, covert advertising, was something that was done in the mid to late 90s where we would go to a city like Chicago and we would want Wrigley Spearmint Gum to would be our client. What we would do is we would hire uh, 55 actors, men and women, who hit a certain demographic. We would script them uh, what to say, and then we would send those people out into the city, and their job was to just walk around all day having a conversation about Wrigley Spearmint Gum because we knew that they would pass people on the street, they would sit by people in restaurants, they would sit next to people in bars, and have this conversation about Wrigley Spearmint Gum, which would put it in the collective minds of all the people in the area who would then go and, and do that. And so that was the advertising that was being done in the mid-90s. And when I look at what advertising is doing now, um, it's very strange to see that from inside um, where I once was and look at it now and see how it's being done and how media is being manipulated to make us think and comprehend reality differently. Yeah, it's very it's very subtle now. Uh, you know, I can think of a case that I, uh, I saw uh, not too long ago where these these women in Philadelphia like you know trashed a McDonald's, 
right. and 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 they had like this internet people these people on the internet talking about it well while they're talking about the video about the women trashing McDonald's they're all eating McDonald's exactly so this viral video is just an advertisement for McDonald's for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely if you well and and that's the whole thing too when when uh, okay so um one of the problems that people had with ghost stalkers, um, I did as well, is how hard the network uh, hit this concept of portals between worlds. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned it when we were putting the show together, but then you know the network ran with it and just killed the whole show with putting it in every minute. You heard, you heard the word portal. Um, but right. what's interesting is that the concept of portals, the concept of traversing two worlds, um, has been one that has not only stuck with us throughout all of culture, as we were talking kind of before, uh, these kind of experiences that transform us one from one person to another, but the fact that there's a doorway that you actually cross through to get to this other reality. Uh, if you look at almost any movie poster that is out right now, um, there's usually a portal or a doorway with the main character going through it. Um, if, if you look at Interstellar, the poster for Interstellar is a, a, an yeah. astronaut standing on a planet with a giant uh, black hole in front of him. If you look at the poster for Skyfall, it's James Bond in the middle of that weird iris uh, turning with his uh, silhouette behind it. If you look at The Hobbit, it's a, it's a picture of Bilbo walking through that Hobbit door, which is a circle leading out into a different world. So, I mean... These ideas that whether we're being forced into thinking about them or whether they just naturally occur, like we, we have to see the commonalities that we share by finding these, these similar things interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's becoming an archetype. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, that's, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like the, the, you know, the black-eyed kids, mm -hmm. uh, the, that mythology that's going on right now and is kind of still developing, um, you know, how many TV shows, you know, Supernatural, that, you know, the show Chad was on, you know, uh, every time that the, someone would be possessed by a demon, the eyes would go black. Absolutely. You know, or in the X-Files, that was the eyes would go black. And, and we see that again and again in popular culture and on television. And it just seems to me that these entities would just, are just, you know, showing themselves in a different form in a way that, you know, has become this unconscious archetype. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it is really strange. You, you brought it up perfectly with Black Eyed Kids because obviously we've all watched the development and, and the folkloric uh, nature of Slenderman pump into right. existence. Um, black Eyed Kids I find more interesting because, you know, the first real talk that you have of Black Eyed Kids is showing up in Internet forums in like 1999 is about yeah. when it really showed up, which is a year after the X-Files film, which shows a child being possessed by the black oil and his eyes become black. Oh, yeah, good point. I didn't so think about it's that. It's a, yeah. a year before the first stories of black-eyed kids, there's a movie that has children with black eyes in them. And so, you know, it's just this very strange thing. Does it, where does it come from? Is, and why did Chris Carter write that? I mean, did he hear something that brought it forward into a larger realm, or did he create it from scratch, which creates the, the folklore behind it? But it's, it's, right. it's really interesting rabbit hole to slip down. Right. And, you know, you talk about the Slender Man thing. I mean, we know, like, what, Slender Man came around in 2009? Right. 
and now you have the what the kids in Wisconsin that like you know yeah well Rob you you have kids uh, that are 12, 11 and 9 year old that stabbed yeah. the kid that like ran, tried to run away and went, yeah. why are you stabbing me because Slender Man told me to yeah so they could go be with Slender Man and they were they were having dreams we and they were acolytes. seeing they were seeing Slender Man right and you know right. that goes back to the whole Topa concept well yeah and you know it's strange too because you know the idea I, I helped um, a couple of people write an article um, for one of the, for a magazine about Slender Man, and they were asking me my take on him. And uh, you know, it's funny because just the concept of Slender Man, even though it was created by someone, um, there are archetypes for Slender Man. First of all, is body dysmorphia. Um, so you know, we never really know what we look like. We see, we have images of ourselves. We see ourselves in pictures and in mirrors, but. You know, there's this little homunculus that lives inside of our brain where our arms seem a little bit longer, our legs seem a little bit longer, and the not knowing what you actually look like in three dimensions, not knowing what your face actually looks like in three dimensions creates this weird blank face in your brain because you don't really know what you're looking at, which is why you can read a comic book or see a movie and you put yourself as the main character. Uh, So Slender Man actually fills a number of valuable archetypes to us um, you know, but kids read about it on the internet and then this normal process of body dysmorphia happens to them. And so then they think Slender Man must be real. And that just leads, obviously we've, we've seen it to, to a whole lot of trouble. Right. Well, it kind of it ties us back at the earlier when we were talking about belief in something, you know, um, manifesting something and, You've got this worldwide phenomenon of people talking about it, people being psyched about it, people, you know, putting right. that energy out there. Yeah, and you know, creating you have, it. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to know which comes first. At a certain point, it gets really, really wonky. And, you know, I, kind of like Black Eyed Kids, you don't know if Chris Carter read something about it and then wrote his movie, and then his movie sparked everything else. Um, I mean, it's... <laughs> Again, I don't mean to keep bringing up advertising, but like, look what Blair Witch did to filmmaking. Um, Much less people going and exploring old haunted locations. Um, All of a sudden, after Blair Witch, uh, movie making became found footage. You know, how many films have come out now that are supposed to be kids that, you know, found footage on a camera? And that was kind of the early days of the internet. I remember when that movie came out and it was like, you know, there was this idea of like, well, is that real or is it not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, never had, that had never been seen before. And so, you know, where does that come from? Where does that idea, is that just somebody breaking new ground or is that an idea that's put in there so that we evolve into a culture where nothing seems real anymore? Because, you know, people will ask me, where's the good UFO footage? Where's the, the good Bigfoot footage? Where's the good ghost footage? And I'll, I'll point them out to certain places and they'll say, well, that's fake. It's like, well, you can't tell anymore anyway. Yeah, right, right. I saw some UFO video today that, you know, that was like, is it real or is it, or is it not? You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I want to talk about, too, though, John, when you were, when you were younger, um, you know, you just don't talk about just, you know, ghosts or the supernatural or paranormal in that field. You're also uh, are a conspiracy researcher as well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to talk about how you got into into that field and, you know, kind of like your studies in that. Yeah, I've always, uh, 
I've always been a weird kid. I always liked weird stuff growing up, obviously, comic books and punk rock. And then uh, my mentor, Craig Ciccone, uh specialized in the Kennedy assassination when I met him when I was younger. And he kind of took me under his wing and, you know, started showing me the ropes. And uh, I would assist him with his lectures and, and just, you know, do whatever I could to cr- try and find out what I wasn't supposed to know. You know, that was what, what was so... That was the little golden egg was here's a bunch of stuff that no one talks about, that no one knows the answer to, and that you're not supposed to study. And so I started off, you know, in JFK, but JFK, again, is a rabbit hole that you go down, and the next thing you know, you're studying, uh, did JFK, you know, did he get shot because he knew something about UFOs, who killed Marilyn Monroe, why was she killed, it was the mafia involved, are there, you know, do you have Operation Paperclip going at the same time, so Nazis are being smuggled into the country, you have the space race, which leads to, do we go to the moon, and all of a sudden you're tied up in everything. Right. What what specifically uh, like the, the conspiracies are you are you kind of are studying now? Um, I'm really interested, um, and maybe you can tell because I'm talking about it so much. But I've really gotten back into um, the, the concept of of advertising as a conspiracy, uh, just because of my background in it, and because of I I know that there are these things going on right now, mm-hmm. like. I don't know. Do you guys know what transmedia is? I've heard the term. Uh, Never heard of it. So transmedia, a good example would be, um, so there's a ghost hunting group. I'll I'll just make up an example, but I'll I'll show you how it would work. There's a ghost hunting group, two guys and a girl, and they go and they investigate haunted locations, and they have a Facebook page, and they have their Twitters, and they have their individual Twitters, and they have the people who hate them, and they have the people who like them, and they just investigate ghosts. And a year, two years from now, they get asked to be on a television show. Uh, With transmedia, the three people who are the ghost hunters are actually actors who are paid to never use their real name, to form a ghost hunting group, to get followers on Twitter, to get followers on Facebook. They are also the people who hate them. Um, there's uh, other actors that are hired to hate that group and to form a, another group to make sure that everyone is covered, uh, if you hate them or love them. It's this really weird rabbit hole where uh, actors actors are being paid to be different people online and to build up multi-year personalities so that when they're checked three or four years from now, you will see that they were just a ghost hunter three or four years. Um, and it's, it's this really, really slippery rabbit hole where you don't know who you're talking to anymore at all. It's, it's estimated right now that because of transmedia, uh, there's anywhere from probably like five to 25 million actors on Facebook and like 10 to 15 million actors on Twitter. Wow. And that they're all there. They're all there to sell products. Um, They're all there to say things kind of like when I was talking about uh, covert advertising in the nineties, they're all things to once a week, They'll, they'll take a selfie of themselves holding a Starbucks coffee cup. 
Um, and that's what they get paid to do. And you think that they're your friends. You've never met them. You only know them from Facebook and Twitter. Um, they're not ever meant to engage anyone uh, in person. If they are engaged in person, they continue to play the part of their character. If someone recognizes them from Facebook or Twitter, um, they have two sets of identification cards. It's, it's something that the advertising companies are doing right now, and it's, it's mind-blowing. I know a couple of the actors, and it's very, very strange. I have to have a non-disclosure agreement to be friends with who they really are so that I don't give away their fake personalities. Huh. Now we're getting into some deep stuff. You know, if that is going on, then, you know, I mean, to me, that sounds like how the CIA would operate. Oh, yeah. It's all developed through propaganda advertising and, and propagandist movements within the government. Um, the problem is, is that people in the government moved into the private sector, and so they took their trade secrets with them. And so that's, that's where this is all kind of stemming from. Uh, what becomes really difficult and what can make you absolutely paranoid and, and delusional is when you start to consider the fact that I might have just been paid to tell you all of that stuff so that if someone is discovered, you can come back and say, well, Tenny said this, and, and it's just this crazy rabbit hole, so you can never end up trusting anyone. <laughs> yeah. But look up, if you if, try and find, uh, just Google search, transmedia advertising, uh, people use, even a lot of LARPers were actually brought in, uh, live, uh, live action role players, because they are so into it, and they can be paid to be a different character. Um, oh. There's all of the strange, like, augmented reality gaming that goes on, ARGs. I don't know if you even know if you know what that is. Slender Man was kind of an ARG uh, when it was created. But, yeah, there are tons and tons of fake people out there right now. That makes a lot of sense, too, because uh, you're saying that they're creating the opposition. You need mm-hmm. the people to come in and they're... And and they uh, give it negative criticism, and then you've got the people that are all for it, you know, uh, giving it all kinds of positive attention, and so they're just creating this whole uh, snowball effect, kind of. Yeah. Well, the, essentially, that's in the book in in the book 1984, mm-hmm. uh, where the resistance is just a fiction, where really the people that are in the government are really have made up the resistance as a form of propaganda. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a company, one, there's one company that I know of, and if I know of one, then I'm sure that there's at least, you know, a dozen. But there is a company that I know of uh, that is, they pay people to be trolls. Yeah. Um, and so if a story comes out and an advertiser says, like, uh, we're getting really hard hit hard for this story. They come to this company, the company will have 15 people post completely ignorant, inflammatory comments on the story, which will make people fight back against those comments. You know, even if they don't support the cause of the story or the political candidate, people will react to the ignorance of the trolls on the comments and therefore get the message spread even further. 
Do you hear that, Luke? You could get your new job tomorrow. Uh, being a, yeah, being yeah, a professional that's, troll. That's what I was thinking. I was like, damn. I, I mean, just think, that's think, a perfect opportunity. Just think, think to yourself, just in the past, like, I don't know, I'll say of the past 60 days, you've probably seen someone say, like, you have to read this comment section. Yeah. You know, or look at the comments that these people are leaving, or look how stupid these people are. That's all part of an advertising plan. Yeah, I've noticed very like the subtle advertising. You know, we read a story on here um, about a couple of months ago about this guy in Australia that that killed his transsexual girlfriend and 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 cooked her or something. You know, just something ridiculous. And and, and uh, Luke made the point that. This was, he wondered if this was a false story. And what was it? You said you, you saw something in our local, we're in Nashville, in our, in, in our local news of like, this is around October. Mm-hmm. He said on the news that, some, that some, a truck full of pumpkins hit a house and killed a woman named Boo. Whoa. You know, just something but, stupid well, like that. That, I mean, that actually is an entirely true story. But 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 we don't far, know. That's the thing. Well, I, I do. I went and looked at the oh, house like, after it happened. But um, and the whole front of the house is destroyed. Yeah, that was very ironic. Let me go into that just real real quick. It's it's Halloween. A semi truck full of uh, forty thousand pounds of pumpkins crashes into this old lady's house and kills her while she's sleeping. And her nickname is Boo. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but he's he's talking about. The, the Facebook articles, and it's it's really cool to get a chance to talk to someone about the corruption of advertising because uh, these these Facebook articles are taken over. Uh, oh, it's among, crazy. Yeah, uh, among among the people that can't really cipher out, uh, you know, there's different levels of, um, I guess, intelligences and, and how much exposure these people have had to electronics throughout their life, you know, how how savvy they are on a computer. But some people will buy into the the first Facebook article that they read, just thinking that it's a legitimate news story from some outlet that is just some guy on his computer, you know, some naked dude on his computer. <laughs> yeah, it's when all information um, is is set on the same level, then no information is worth it. Like as soon as all information is worthless, all information is worthless, and so the New York Times becomes as palatable as the National Enquirer as uh, the chive, as the onion, and all of a sudden, what are you supposed to believe? And right. you choose to just not believe any of it because you, you your brain gets tired from trying to filter out what's real and what isn't. Uh, and that's what we're seeing happening right now. I mean, look at how many people think that onion articles are real stories and will repost them. Um, I've, been, I've been tricked by them before. Yeah, and all you and and the thing is, is you know, it's funny too because it really does take for a lot of a lot of news articles. All it really takes is an extra twenty seconds to Google it yourself, and you know, I, it's really frustrating to me. Like, especially doing a show where I'll say, like, Ghost Stalkers is on Destination America tonight at 10 o'clock, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. And then people will say, like, awesome, can't wait to watch it. What time is it on? And it's, like, 10 Eastern. And they're like, cool, what channel? I'm like, Destination America, I just said it. And they're like, what's the name? Like, people will literally just start commenting on something that they haven't even read. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and um, this, this whole age of misinformation like this, I've... Uh, what better way to 
stray everybody from actually finding the truth and, and uh, you know, th then just add more and more confusion every day. Just, just thousands of pages of confusion just added into the mix. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you, you, you see that kind of, you see that thing kind of thing going all the time. I mean, that was a big thing back when, you know, when Bush was president, it just like the, to end the argument, if anybody had a good point, you just say, well, you're just unpatriotic. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and, and Obama and the Obama people, they kind of do the same thing. Now they're just kind of like, well, instead they just say, well, you're just racist. Cause you don't like Obama, you know, something like that. There's always an end. It's, it's funny too, because there's always uh, at the end of an argument that someone can't win, there's a declaratory statement on the other person's values. And so that's how you can tell when a person has thought that they've lost an argument is that they have to comment upon you personally. So, you know, you might be having a good conversation with somebody and then all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere after five minutes of conversation, someone will say like, well, you've never been to college. And it's like, okay, now they're done arguing. Now they're just going to go to insults. And Ad hominem attack. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, th this makes me think about, and I mentioned the CIA, and uh, it, it really makes – one of the things that we've talked about here, and we talked about it earlier in the show's life, was, um, you know, false flag attacks. Mm -hmm. And these and, and it, it, these same similar kind of propaganda things happen in, well, what I perceive as the false flag attacks. What kind of your feelings, especially like, you know uh, – do you get into any like the nine eleven research? Uh, I, I, I do. I, I mean, I want to see where it's going. I want to see what people are talking about. Um, we know that it's been done. We know that the government has created false attacks on whether it be their own citizenry or propping up other dictators or governments. It's it's not something that's new. I think my biggest concern is not that there's a false flag attack, but that we have gotten so used to hearing that there's going to be attack is that we don't realize the covertness of what's actually happening. Uh, yeah. And by that, I mean, uh, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who's a professor of sociology, and we were talking about the fact of if you were going to round people up and put them in FEMA camps, uh, who's going to patrol the camp? Who's going to take the garbage out? Who's going to feed the people inside the camps? Like, you need a larger force to keep the camp surrounded. The more people you put inside of it, it would just be easier to start to lower the lifestyle of everyone in the country to get to a point where people are starving to death, dying from disease and illness. You don't need a force to monitor them. Uh, just keep cutting people's benefits, jobs, lifestyle, health, and happiness, and and allow it to get to a smaller number. And, and, and that way you don't have to ship people to camps anymore. Shipping people to camps is kind of this old-school notion of keeping people under control. Well, it actually becomes very problematic because then you need a force to control them. Uh, if you look at the way nation-states work now, you just keep people... Uh, in this kind of pacified state, they have their internet, they have their cable TV, they have their car, they have their flat screen, they might not have any food, they might hate their job, they might be unhappy with their life, uh, but they're becoming more and more docile and, and less likely to be reactive against uh, overt control. 
And I think that giving people things to worry about, like false flags, is a way to say, oh, well, the helicopters aren't here yet, so I have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Do you think there's anything to some of the 9-11 theories? Uh, I always think it's, you know, it's odd to me. I did a lecture uh, on conspiracy theories about two or three weeks after 9-11, and so I had to... guy got up in the crowd and asked me about it and I kind of pontificated a little bit. You didn't, it was, you know, only a few weeks after. So there was no truth or movement. There was none of that. Uh, America was still very, very much in in the pangs of horror and and terror of what had happened. And the next day after that lecture, I had the FBI and the CIA contact me about what was I talking about? Why was I talking about the government being involved in in 9-11? And I've still found it intensely odd that the government had no foreknowledge that this horrific tragedy was going to happen, and yet three weeks later they had enough resources to track down me in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, who had done a one-hour lecture on conspiracy theories. Um, it, so it, that, those kind of real-world situations where telling people we didn't have enough resources to, we didn't have enough boots on the ground. We didn't have enough intelligence working forward, but then giving me examples that you do have a ton of intelligence going, you do have a ton of boots on the ground. You do have a ton of people working that, that to me doesn't make any sense. Yeah. There's a cognitive dissonance there. Yeah, absolutely. One thing about conspiracy theories and is that it, um, they seem to take on a life of their own. They've almost become their own kind of mythology. Absolutely. And, you know, to the, uh, <laughs> for a lot of them, the people who even make them up uh, start to believe in them. So, you know, back in the, in the mid-'80s, uh, early-'90s, you know, there was this guy who, in England, who talked about, you know, every single... Uh, person of royalty had descended from um, not a mammalian line, but a reptilian line. Uh, And and within a few years, he was making enough money for Ike to say, like, no, they're actually reptiles. They're shape-shifting, shape-shifting. Like, originally, his concept, if you read his first few books and first few pamphlets, all he was saying was that there's a there seems to be people who have the characteristics of reptiles, of being cold-blooded, of eating their young. Uh, they don't have any self-care. They're sociopaths. That was, was his first, his first right. statements were that. Uh, six, years, yeah, right. six years later, he was talking about people actually being shape-shifting reptilians. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and this, there was some controversy about that, of, of whether he... Of whether what he was doing was he was just kind of um, reviving the whole, you know, Jewish, right. anti-Jewish conspiracy. Absolutely. You know, that just replacing, replace the word Jew with reptile. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because, again, when you have people buying into their own kind of BS, um, in the mid-90s, again, you know, the, the conspiracy circles were a little tighter because there, there was no internet, and so we all kind of knew each other. But I interacted with Alex Jones a lot back in the in the early and mid '90s when he was just a radio local radio show host host in Texas, and 
you know, there were tons of conversations, you know, where he would tell, you know, I, I think I have a recording somewhere where he said, you know, if I'm still broadcasting in 2005, you'll know that I've been bought by the powers that be because they don't want me he to say what I'm... To you? Oh, yeah. And, wow. and now I look at who he is with his magazines and huge websites and making tons of money and hawking all these products, and I'm like, well, they, uh -huh. they got to him. Someone did because he's a millionaire now. And, you know, right. when I see him on MSNBC or Fox or CNN, I'm like, well, he's not the, uh, we had a huge falling out long before that anyway, because when, uh, Y2K happened and he got on the air and started telling people that there were riots in Texas and people were shooting each other over gasoline. Like he did a live broadcast that sounded like war of the worlds, except he did not at any time say, you know, this is not happening. I'm making it up. He just went on uh, the radio yeah. and, and said, here it is. This is happening. I'm watching, you know, television and power plants are exploding and people are shooting each other over gasoline. And that's where I was like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. That's the thing. He said something about the Russians were attacking us. Or the Russians had, had invaded. Yeah. <laughs> Now he just yells at everybody. <laughs> he just yells at everyone. And he's become he's become the parody of himself. He's become the stark raving lunatic that, you know, even if he has something good and valid and decent to say, you're not gonna listen to him because he's nuts. Right. Are, are are there any other conspiracies that you look at, John, now that uh, that interest you? Um, you know, I'm I'm always interested in, in all of the big ones. I, I don't spend a ton of time researching all of them. I've always been a, a fascinated with secret societies. Uh, my my grand my great grandfather and my grandfather were both thirty third degree Masons. Um, oh really? Yeah. So that was. But because my grandfather died at such an early age, my dad never got into it, and so that I never got into it. Um, but like having that kind of background, I've always been interested in, in secret societies, Freemasonry, Illuminati, just all of that stuff fascinates me. This, this kind of behind-the-scenes manipulation of forces, whether it's actually happening or not. You know, I'm, I'm more along the, the, the lines of George Carlin, which is, you know, the big secret that the secret societies are keeping is that no one is in control of anything. Um, and Alan Moore makes those same kind of statements. Who does? Alan Moore. Yeah. Yeah, the, the secret that the church, the Masons, the Illuminati are keeping is that no one's in control of anything, and it's just this is just a free for all. Um, right. And I I think that's I, really I fascinating. That. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, f funny story. Um, I had uh, I went to the um, like the center of uh, the the Freemasonic Temple in yeah. Washington D.C. Getting <laughs> late, and so. I had my stepson with me and my dad, and we're just, uh, you know, you can take a tour. You know, they got a gift shop. You know, right. these, guys are, these guys are real sinister, right? Right. So we, uh, my stepson just kind of like wanders off, right? And he's about 14 at this point. And all of a sudden, like this guy, he said this guy comes up to him and, and says, and says, hey, you know, come on, I want to show you something. And he's like, "Oh no, thanks. I'm gonna go with with my dad and with my dad, and you know, I gotta join back up with them." And uh, 
I, and he told me about it. I was like, are you serious? Like, you could have told me all the secrets, man. You could have let me know, like, everything. He wanted to take him into his altar room. <laughs> yeah, sacrifice him to Baphomet or something, not, you know? cool, man. <laughs> well, John, we're just about out of time. But, uh, tell everybody where, like, people can contact you and, you know, if you have any writings that are out there and, like, also, you know, a little bit about weird lectures. Yeah, so uh, the easiest way to get hold of me is they can email me at john at weirdlectures.com. My website is weirdlectures.com. And, um, you know, on Twitter, I'm at John E.L. Tenney, T-E-N-N-E-Y. Uh, that's my also my Facebook name. It's my Instagram name. Uh, if, if you go to Google and type weird lectures, you're going to find me. If you go to Amazon and you type John E.L. Tenney, you'll see the books that I have available uh, but I've tried to make it as easy for everyone as possible, even though there's a lot of people who don't even have the time to do a Google search. Right. And, and John, you're pretty still pretty cool in my book, and the fact that you uh, you're a Joy Division fan. Which... <laughs> Listen to good music, man, and <laughs> believe in good politics. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> just gotta get you just, just gotta get down to you guys, and we can go out and have a drink. Yeah, absolutely. Right if, you ever come, if you ever come to Nashville, let us know. <laughs> hey, everybody else from Detroit's in Nashville. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> All of those people were at some point friends of mine. Uh, yeah. You gotcha. I've had a, right, I've right. had a weird I've had a weird romance and and disillusionment with the Detroit music scene. That's another whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, probably that's a whole like a hour and a half in and of itself, probably. All right, well, John, we're gonna close out this segment, but uh, stay on the line for us, and uh, we'll be right back on Conspiranormal. All right, all right, we're back on Conspiranormal. Uh, it was a really good interview. We covered a lot of ground. I thought Luke with uh, with John Tenney. Yes, sir. You're over here busily busily texting my on my th- phone. My thumbs are racing. <laughs> Yeah, um, checking in with the woman. I thought the best part, well, obviously the conversation that we just had with them was the best part. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah. People might not get to hear. Probably not going to get to hear that. But backstage. Like, yeah, but like basically, uh, at the, we you know we we usually talk to the guests for a little bit after we say. You know, stay on the line with us, and that means you know we talk to the guests a little bit, and then people don't usually get to hear that. I may like cut some parts out later on for like a best of or something, you know, because we had some cool, you know, conversations with some guests right after. It's usually no more than like three or four minutes, but he was telling us about uh, this um, disagreement that he had with Kid Rock. And at first, we, at first, I thought he was kidding. He said he had like this lawsuit with Kid Rock, and he said that he was in a grunge band back in the '90s, and basically not the lyrics but like the music kid rock stole for his first album and just rapped over the music and john and his band actually sued kid rock in the record company so i thought that was pretty uh pretty interesting we've been sitting here laughing about that for like the last like 10 minutes in between so yeah um that makes me just like you know i i didn't necessarily hate him I just like don't like his music. I don't like him as a person, and yeah. now he's just moved to a whole new level of uh, dislike for me from me. Right. Well, he, you know, like what well, being here in Nashville, we um, 
He keeps causing like, trouble. Yeah, he keeps causing trouble. Like, he, like, he got in a fight with somebody at, at Vanderbilt. And, and, and he, he got gets in another the, fight on 2nd Avenue. And... Yeah, right. <laughs> and then he just comes in and, like, you know, he's, like, was he, like, big with, like, David Allen Coe and those guys? Well, since, and... since he's not even really deserving of any more of our time and mm-hmm. attention, let, let's shift back. Why are we talking about Kid Rock on this <laughs> show? I don't let's even know. Shift, let's shift back to uh, um, I, what, my favorite part of his conversation, though was about the advertising and like yeah. that's something that we hardly ever get into is like the right. whole corruption of advertising going on these days and that's something that I that I think a lot about on a daily basis like you know how how they're construing things this way to make it seem like this and the psychological psychological warfare is what it is on well, that's the, basically what it is on Americans and I, and I was telling you that day uh texting I don't care man I'll say on the air like you know, my life's not that valuable. They come after me if they want. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was saying that I think that the only way to, like, get your hands on the real information is to talk to some hackers, man. Like, some somebody that knows how to um, get into some private servers and stuff that will contain, like, the real information. Rather than yeah. this diluted amalgamation of crap that's being just spread all over America like filth. Well, imagine if you could uh, if you could expose these people that are out there that he says are out there that are these actors, and you could expose them for what they are. You know, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, we kind of talked to John a little bit before the interview. I kind of wanted to bring up, and uh, he didn't really want to touch this was the whole Sandy Hook thing, mm. and he like you know a lot of people have been, which I don't know if I buy or not, but talking about how like these are crisis actors and you know and that that goes that may go straight into some of this stuff that he's talking about if there's people that are out there that are that are actors already yeah that's that is the same and and the reason he doesn't want to touch on is because he probably knows all about it Mm -hmm. probably so well he said he had a friend that's in the paranormal that uh, actually went to sandy hook and of course you got you know you got some of these these odd ideas about Sandy Hook, and one of them is that 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 they that there was no school there, that it was an empty school building, and all this kind of stuff. And there are people that are in that community that say no, that's not true. Um, well, so there's a huge debate there. I don't the, think you want to really the, wanted to get into it. The most suspicious thing to me, as far as like the media coverage of the event goes, is that uh, you know the the messages were screen capped mm-hmm. of of the the uh, sheriffs talking about like if you if you say anything on social media like we will have you banned right you know you just just don't just don't say anything about it if you're affiliated with it in any way and that's not something that normally happens right yeah that was that was extreme that was extremely odd i'm hoping uh i want to try to get in touch with uh with a couple of people and, and talk more about sandy hook stuff but you know i want to talk a little bit more too i think we could just do this amongst ourselves uh, some of these like shootings that have been going on in the last year, two years or so. I think there's a lot to that. And, but I want to read something before we go, uh, that I saw today actually. And Rob, this is, uh, your, uh, <clears throat> your girlfriend, Alyssa sent this to me. I thought this, she was, that was, I'm into weird stuff. So, this is retired U.S. soldier claims he has spent 17 years battling aliens on Mars. A former U.S. Marine has sensationally claimed that he has spent nearly a decade battling aliens on Mars. 
the ex-marine, who goes by the name of Captain K, says that there are five human colonies on the Red Planet, and he has spent 17 years fighting to protect them. Serving in a space fleet known as the Earth Defense Force that recruited military personnel from countries like America, Russia, Russia and China, the one-time ex-naval infantryman was trained to fly a variety of bombers and Star Wars-style space fighters. He then spent his time protecting the colonies from Martians, who presumably wanted to take over and make the planet their own. Well, if they're Martians, aren't they, weren't they there already? Uh, Captain K's incredible testimony to, fo- to Exo News TV doesn't end with Mars either. Maybe they're so, like the Hutus and the other tribe. Right. Spacecraft training apparently took place on the moon, as well as on Saturn's moon Titan, and even in deep space. His retirement ceremony after 20 years of service also took place on the moon, with guests including ex-Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. We know you're all laughing now, but what if he's telling the truth? Starship Troopers had to be based on something, after all. Yeah, because nobody could come up with that work of fantasy on their own. Yeah, well, you know, apparently this guy's been making the rounds, and actually was on Facebook today, uh, forwarded this over to a guy named uh, Olaf Phillips, who was on our show, talking about the Secret Space Program. And uh, that was one that Bobby was here for. And uh, I talked to him, and he said that he'd actually interviewed this Captain K guy. And he said that he just, uh, he, he asked me for my email and he's going to forward my email to Captain K. And apparently, we'll see if Captain K gets in touch Get with me. Maybe we can have him on the show. Maybe, talk he'll about, with, maybe he'll be with like the cube guy with the cube religion. What, what are you talking about? The, uh, the, the uh, time cube? Yeah, time, the time cube guy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the two of them are like space traveling together. Oh, and, and, and since my mom's on that boat now, she'll be space right. traveling, too. What, what boat is your mom on there? She's she's completely joined the Ash... I shouldn't say that. It's, like, really, really asinine to me. The Ash Tarkoman? <laughs> well, well, yeah. I, I, was, I was talking about how she's, you know, kind of spaced out these days, but... <laughs> right. Uh, I want to ask you, Luke, since this is the last show of 2014... Uh, are there any guests to you that possibly uh, stand out in your mind that we've interviewed? I know that's really putting you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, okay, so so the way it goes is, you know, I hear things repeated so often on our show, and that's not a bad thing because right. you got your guests, and you never know what your, your guests have heard. That for, your, for all you know, this could be like the first show that they've listened to. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I do, I listen to some podcasts sometimes like while I'm at work and, um, I just hear things from all my friends cause I've got like a bunch of like truth seeker type, you know, friends Yeah. and, um, I, I've heard all this before. So most of it's just repetition, but some, every once in a while I hear like a little tidbit of something like really interesting like, wait, what, you know, make me do a double take while I'm nodding out over here or I'm drawing a picture or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, um. Uh, well, um, you already know that I I love all the guests that have to do something with um, psychotropics and psychoactive yeah. drugs and stuff like that. Like, that's really cool to me. Yeah, we I think we've had on some interesting guests this year. I mean, I have to say, like the last uh, few guests that we've had, um, you know, Pat Fitzhugh was good. I mean, John yeah, was, was good. I mean, the two the now the two uh-huh. uh, that we've had him on. Uh, Thad last time. I mean, that was an amazing show. Right. Uh, Dr. Jacobs was another great show. 
I guess uh, what I'm trying well. to get at is that like none of them really stand out above the rest because each one of them has like some a little something to kind of to bring to it. The table, yeah, yeah. Well, kind of like one idea for um, next year. You know, we're you're working on a new song, uh, working on an intro mm. for the show. And about time. <laughs> we're gonna try to have it like, uh, you know, somebody come on and and and, and introduce it. You know, uh, like kind of some some music in the background and stuff like that. Yeah, some some just like some nicer transitions and fading techniques yeah. and stuff like that yeah. to just make it have a better flow. Yeah, and I'm certainly I've got the I got all the uh, music here in my possession, and you got stuff too. So, uh, Rob, want to ask you a little bit? You know, um, be, think you've been here like the past few shows. I mean, is there anybody that you like that you really particularly liked and that we've had on? Um, I like the, my favorite was the, the, um, I can't remember, we had an in-studio guest and then the, the Skype guest. Yeah, that was God Malone and, uh, Michael Carter. Yeah, yeah and, um, the, just the ability to kind of, like, set them off and let them debate, that, that was a lot of fun. Right. I think Luke slept through that one. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a peaceful debate. Well, it, was, it was an easy show. It I was kind of an easy show for us. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right, you want people like yelling at each other. Yeah, I, wanted, then, I wanted them like wrestling in the floor, and then like us yeah. being announcers, like in the red corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's guy below, and then <laughs> they pull it back just enough that they don't want like <laughs> too out of control. But then you know you can poke them a little bit if they get too calm. Well, kind of my goal uh, for 2015 uh, on this show is to try to talk a little bit more like kind of conspiracy oriented stuff, um, and try to get on some more p- people that are gonna. Uh, talk about stuff that happened in the past, stuff in history. So you might get super bored now, Luke. You don't uh, know. Well, actually, actually, Uh-oh. believe it or not, I really do enjoy history. Yeah, and, and I want to, I want myself to talk about some of this stuff. Like maybe take about like thirty minutes, or maybe every every other show, and talk about different aspects of conspiracy theory and different things that have happened. But go on with what you were saying about join history. Um. I've been looking for something I could listen to, like audio, free audio books or something like that. But there's all kinds of history podcasts out there. Really? Yeah, oh. I'm listening to one right now uh, about the history of Byzantium, uh, Byzantine Empire, which oh. is really interesting. Okay. Yeah, so you know, that's uh, there's some interesting there's some interesting stuff out there, but uh, you know, I kind of want to gear towards kind of like more conspiracy theory aspects. Yeah. So, well, is there any gentlemen that you want to add, or before we call it a night? Total silence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Well, both of our girls are trying to wrangle us up right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. So. so, yeah. Well, no love for Kid Rock on this show, and uh, we've discovered that tonight. Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> we had the band that wrote all of Kid Rock's music. So, but uh, thank you guys, and I want everybody to that's listening to have a very good Merry Christmas. Blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, y'all have a good good night. Thank you for listening to Conspiracy. What was I supposed to say?
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.